Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul, Angeline, and today we're talking about game flow. This is a episode that came from a Facebook post. Yes, not a question to us directly, but a question asked nonetheless. Right, right. So it was an interesting question, and and the guy who asked the per, the question got a, quite a few answers, and I answered it myself. I uh, had a few comments to make, so I thought it was an interesting comment. I mean, interesting question that we could probably. Well, you need to tell them what the question is. How do they make the games? flow better run better or quicker and specifically i believe he was talking about how people might have to wait for their turn in combat and if you have a large table that could bore some people right and i guess the deal is that he he was running a game and it was taking a long time between between players right between the first and the last person well he said he had like six players six six players in his game that doesn't seem to be like a lot of players but I, I have been in games where the combat, you know, each person takes it. Once it's your turn, you, you have a good 15 minutes so you could get up and go to the bathroom if you needed to, right? <laughs> because especially some combats take a long time. If you're not involved in the combat, but like if you're involved in the combat, it shouldn't take that long, right? I, would, I, I don't understand. From the time it's my turn until it comes back to my turn, it's in the initiative time? order, it can take a long okay. time. Depending on... How many people are playing? Well, we, I ran uh, D&D 5th edition and Pathfinder. And you played in both of those campaigns or all three of them, whatever it is. And it took a long time between the when you went and then bef- between everybody when it got back to you. Hello. Between Steve d- telling you, of, can I do this? And giving you some crazy idea. And Ian, Alan, and Augustine each calculating their numbers and not always being ready for their turn when it came along, sometimes it took a while. And I'm not complaining. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I can see the point that the that the game master was making that, and this was at a convention game, so he had players that he didn't necessarily know, so maybe some of them might have thought, oh, this is taking a long time. But I've never really met a, a tabletop role player that has actually voiced that opinion. Because one, when it's other people's turn, you're listening to what they're doing, right? And watching their miniatures if you have miniatures out or whatever. Right. I think you're 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 paying attention unless unless that's the problem I think is when they stop paying attention and they start fiddling with their phones or something like that, then I could see that being a problem. So He was specifically talking about combat, right? I think during so. a combat session. I think so. I would say that the more I've never, I mean, there has been times when it's taken that long to get back to my turn, but it's never been boring for me. One, I have to figure out what I'm going to do next. Yeah. And then there's always the little side conversations going on at the table, which may or may not be a good thing, but your, your people that you're with are going, okay, if he does this, then I'll do that. Right. Oh, that stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think uh, that's pretty natural in most groups. So this guy was specifically talking about a con game, and then, and he he had some numbers. I forget what the numbers of players he had. You said it was six. I think it was six. Which is weird because some people have handled like large groups, right? I remember I remember I ran space opera, and I my nor- normal number of people playing would be eight. But space opera is a pretty exciting game if, if there's combat. <laughs> One, you don't know if you're gonna get blown out in the space, right? Because you never know what's gonna happen. So. 
there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So you might want to think a little bit before your turn. Are you saying that uh, uh, the science fiction games are naturally more exciting? No, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go there. I played in Traveler. <laughs> is that a, is that a comment against the GM? No, I think I think that the thing is the GM has a lot of. That was a comment against the grids. <laughs> you and your, you have a you have a problem with. <laughs> So you don't like charts, and now it's grids. <laughs> okay, so this guy had a valid had valid question. I think I think when you're the GM and you're running a combat game, and the players seem to tune out when it's not their turn, that's a problem, right? When you have bored, I'm gonna say bored players, maybe. And in that case, I think all kinds of things are happening, right? It, it could be the system is very complicated, and it could be that some people are not ready. I mean, there's all there's a plethora of things that could be impeding this game flow. So I, I think one of them could be that if you're at a con, they could be tired. <laughs> no, really? No way. <laughs> and also, I would just like to point out that maybe it's not the GM, maybe it's the player. There, like I said, there's all kinds of things that where the problem might lie. And I think as a GM, you can mitigate a lot of that by, and I wrote some things down, hence. Wow, exactly. crazy. So the first thing I thought was you know the rules, right, as a GM. You got to know the rules forwards and backwards if you're going to run out of con. Now, I just ran a game that I didn't know the rules forwards and backwards because it was a, uh, it was a, a game in progress, right? So I was, uh, it, it's going to be published pretty soon, but the writer is still working on the rules and stuff, and so I had a document called 5.6, and it had been, which had started one, one. and right like a, a week or two weeks before the convention, he dropped, he gave me the, the 6.0 document, which he changed quite a bit of stuff in it, you know, how, how damage is taken, and they added some elements, and I, and I was like, wow, that... Should I incorporate that or should I leave that out? So I wanted to incorporate it because it's the latest version of that game. And I want to show a version that was as most accurate as I could make. And because he's testing out that stuff, right? And so my, my game is a test of some sort, a play test. Uh, and I'm running it again. I'm running it with my group, uh, my home group, the same adventure and everything. So... I didn't have game mastery, but a lot of times I, I read the rules, especially in a role-playing game, I read the rules, I figure out how it works, and then what I forget is like just weird little things that sometimes escapes most people. The minutia. Yeah, yeah. So like, for example, I'm just, and it's not going to mean anything to anybody who hasn't played the game, but uh, I kept rolling location. And in the game, in the rules, it says don't roll location unless it's a critical hit. That's the only time you want to ro roll location. Otherwise, it's just, you know, it could be anywhere. And I was making them roll location. And what was funny was, like, everyone they shot in, in the game at the convention got hit in the arm. Everyone, <laughs> so like, they were making fun of the, the fact that they kept shooting people in the arm. Like, not the same guy, though sometimes it was. But other, like every every NPC that they came across that they had a battle with, I thought that was kind of funny. So I gave them a, a short battle report to the author, right? I, I, I sent them an, not an email. I, I messaged them, actually. And he goes, oh, you're not supposed to roll hit location unless it's a critical hit. And I'm like, oh, I, I 
totally, you know, watch that. So I thought it was pretty funny. That is pretty funny when you're testing a game and you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I know. But it's it's bound to happen, like I said. It was uh Well, if you get the, the new set of ed what ed uh, what do you call it? Um, rules? The new version? The new version of the rules right before you go to play, you might get it wrong. I would have just gone with the old version and then <laughs> said, okay, there's a new version. And when the game comes out, it's going to be different, right? Because it's basically a play test of the game. Right. Exactly. And I, I did, did, now here's the question. Did the rolling location and everybody hitting people in the arm make it a more interesting game for the players? I think they, I think they found it funny. So, right, right. So they, they were engaged in that. I mean, yeah. that caused a bit of a, what do you call it? levity in the yeah. game right and so because it's a real brutal game and and the character the players were very careful about not getting into combat because they saw on their character sheet i got like five six seven hit points i'm gonna right? die and and if you get shot by a gun you and you get hit you're gonna get like three three points of damage and if they roll lucky they you're not gonna get up yeah that's that's what happens your friends are gonna pull you off the battlefield <laughs> So I, I, I in that game I actually had two extra characters for for players because I knew I knew I thought maybe some of them might die. But you said at the con game the people were were very 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 cautious. cautious. Yes, they refused to even go after anything that they didn't want to go into combat. Yeah, and and the only, they were soldiers, right? They were soldiers. Yes, on a mission. They're very smart soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> a very task orientated. So. That's interesting that you say that you, the GM needs to know the rules forwards and backwards. Right. I think also the players need to know the rules for their characters. Like, and that's de that's different at a con game yes. than at a like a regular home game. Right. So whenever I have a character, I try to learn all the rules for, especially if I if I'm a sorceress or something. Of course. I want to learn all of the rules for my spells so that I know what I'm doing, right? Right. Because one, if I don't know what I'm doing, the boys will take the time to explain it to me. And there's nothing like being mansplained by an 18-year-old. <laughs> well, Sometimes than, what, you need it. That, it's better than when he was 12. Yes. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, oh, no? So okay. I learned early on that you should really know the rules for your character, right? So if you have a special ability or something and you're going to use it during combat, if if you're not prepared and you have to look it up or you have right. to have the GM look it up, right. then that's that makes it take longer. So I think not only the GM but the the player characters, the players need to know the rules for their character. Right, right. Well, yeah, but uh, you're right. I mean, that definitely helps make the game flow. But this is GM right at the moment I'm thinking about GMs and what they can do because if they know the rules better, then they don't have to look in the book, which Best that talk about game flow. Game flow stops, right? Well, then let me look this up, and then their nose in the book, and the you know, role playing stops. That is true, except for just just so everybody's aware, you're gonna have one player who's gonna pull something out of thin air that you've never heard of, and he's telling you that yes, I I can do that, right? So you depending on how outrageous it is, you may stop the game to look it up, or may go. Okay, go ahead and then look it up later. Right. And that's what most people say who are in, who run a lot of games. They say, make a ruling, don't worry about the rules. And I think something like that should be probably a discussion right when you start the game. I really don't like stopping gameplay to look up rules. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a ruling and I'm going to try to be as fair as possible and we're going to keep the game moving. So what if the player does something so outrageous that you're like, I don't think that character can do that. Are you going to go, okay. Yeah, you're just going to say no. You, you know what? Well, I've never seen that rule. In their chair all I ne- I've never seen that rule. Or if it's something that's so important to the player, then maybe depending on how long the game's going, you say, you know what? Let's take a five minute, 10 minute break. Go get some water. And I'll, this, and I'll look this up and I'll look this up and I'll have, you know, so th- have a conversation. But if it happens like five minutes into the game or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, then you got to. Or in the middle of combat. Or the middle of combat. Or yeah, whatever. What I'm saying is not that far into the game or in the middle of combat. You're right. You don't want to stop that in the middle of combat. Because do that you don't want to stop in the middle of combat when someone is in the middle of an acrobatic uh, I, I, attack. Yeah. I still think that if you really know the rules pretty well, there's less rules lawyering. If you if you show your mastery of the game and people are like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff, maybe I got it wrong. I don't know. I've never really dealt with somebody that was that adamant about something the GM said, no, I don't think that's right. Or And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, mean, I have seen sort of that, but quickly it's dealt with. I was specifically thinking about Ian and his mm. some of his ideas that he... He really reads the the rules and and different things and comes up with really intricate ideas about what he wants to do. And sometimes I've seen you look at him and go, "Okay, you can do it." I'm not sure that you can, but go ahead. <laughs> I don't remember that, but yeah, I guess that yeah, you're right. He is one of those players that that reads the rules and tries to. Well, he tries to come up with things that that are exciting for him, right? Right, and. It makes it, sometimes a player like that makes it harder for the GM or easier for the GM to, because it, it makes the game more exciting. Definitely, definitely it makes it more interesting no yeah. matter what, right? So knowing the rules, that's, that's uh, as a GM, that's pretty important. Number two, try smaller player groups. If you're consistently running with 10 people, eight people, try a six-player game or four-player game. Uh, what was it that you said? I forget what it was. Even in board games, right? We play Lords of Waterdeep, oh. and we have a large group, so easily we can make, have eight people playing the game. Seven, seven. Usually. There's three of us, four of them, seven. And if we have a friend over or somebody over, that's and it's eight. Yeah, it's eight. Which we've recently, I've been telling Sally you need to get more six-player games because <laughs> for some reason our boys want to play board board games with us, which I'm not complaining about because who gets to play games with their teenagers and people in their twenties, right? Right. Right. It's a it's a, a very good thing, but the more people, especially Lords of Waterdeep, that game can take with six people. That game can take a good two hours. Yeah. And half of that time, I don't know what's going on because they're just making they're talking and and stuff. And I'm like, going, I'm never going to win this game. I can't figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> they usually do win. So okay, so we're talking about Lords of Waterdeep. It's a good game. It goes from four players to no, it goes from two players to two players to, to six. six. And but you add the six player, and then they, there's a there's a version called the long game, and it it is a two hour game. Now most people, some people who play board games, go, well, that's two hours. But well, in our group, that's a little long. That's that's about the limit yeah. of of mine and Kathy's tolerance. Of... <laughs> the the women, <laughs> uh, the boys could play forever, but yeah. So but that does so. If, but if you play with four players, yeah. You, but you said you, you played at the with four people, yeah. and it was you cut it down. It's the same. It was me and Kathy and the boys. Right. Uh, two of the boys. But um, 
for for combat, that's the same thing. If you have four characters playing versus six characters playing, the amount of time that it takes to get back around to somebody else's initiative, right, is right. shorter. Yeah, it just and it, it is. and it also depends on the kind of combat, right? Because there's like there's like feng shui combat where you describe what you're going to do, and then there's there's Pathfinder combat where you're crunching the numbers to see, you know, what what's going to happen, right? Yeah, but you know, some people say that that's the problem with with those real crunchy games is that people forget to describe what they're doing instead of just I hit, I'm going to just swing my my sword, I hit, fourteen points of damage. Well, and then, it, but like in Feng Shui, we, we when we played the last game, we played Steve was having a really hard time because he the dice were not in his yeah, favor. And so he was like getting kind of frustrated, even though he was describing what he was going to do. It didn't happen. Cause, right. Because he couldn't get the roll. Because the roll, yeah, bad rolls. <laughs> Try smaller groups. I think that would really help your game flow. I mean, just automatically. That's easy to say, but if you have a group of six, of your six friends that you play with all the time, I'm going to say that, you know, saying, okay, two of you can't play in this game is not going to work, Right. Well, uh, you're right. I think you you are in a pickle when you have that problem because what are you going to do? I mean, right. if you have six of your friends and they know that, that you play, you have a game yeah. and you've been playing games for years or whatever, then then you're yeah. just going to need to learn to come up with other strategies than making it a smaller game. Right. But if it's but if it's a con game or a game where where you have lots of different friends like Saul. Saul has all kinds of groups he plays with, right? <laughs> So I was say lots. I have two. Okay, fine. Three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could be in more, but I just don't have the time. It's just not enough time. <laughs> Goddamn work. There's a difference between your friends that you've been playing with since high school and you all live in the same town and you're all together or you're online every Friday night. You're not, they're going to know because you have a group text or things like that. Right, right, right. right. Versus you picking, going, okay, okay, who's going to be available? And the Stanford group, which Shannon calls it, that are friends that, because that's where Cowie lives, they play right now on Zoom or what's online. the other one? Online. So we, they, we also use Discord, but yeah. And Roll20. But everybody can't always make it. So sometimes the group is between two and five right right right. so that makes it so then you can run a game for less players and see how it goes right to, if you oh, want definitely. the combat to go faster yeah, yeah. and i think I'll, the the number of players it just so happens to be how many people can show up right right and so when we were playing lately the group is really busy like how we love snow right and and it's tax season so jolene doesn't get to play as much right so Kawi's out in tahoe and her connection kind of sucks and she's busy with family visiting and, and stuff skiing. like that and skiing yes and her and her skiing a snow bunny from hawaii who would who would have thought uh maybe she's got tired of that island hot temperature because it's freezing up there <laughs> it's gonna be cold to have snow but anyway so she's up there snow skiing whatever you call it and enjoying that and visiting with her family. So she hasn't been playing lately. And in the foreseeable future, she she isn't joining us for a few weeks. And then other people, you know, just adult life, right? Oh, they're not available. You know, things happen and this and that. So you're right. Our group, you know, is like expands and contracts depending on, on who's available. The The Friday group that we have, there was a, a guy who, who was looking for a job, looking for a job. They landed a job. Now he's super busy, 
much like you are, and literally cannot join us on, on Friday evenings because he's so burnt out, or he's still, he's commuting, going home. So, I mean, that, that prevents, <laughs> prevents him from playing. So our groups have, my, our group, my, the ones I'm in, has really gotten smaller, so it... But that's a cyclical thing, right? Yes, yes. And uh, I, think, I, think, I think it's pretty neat that we have that experience between a smaller group and a larger group and see the differences and then be able to figure out what would make a larger group flow better and, and work better. And a lot of it, like you said, if the players have a, not a lot, a, a lot of knowledge or re- are very knowledgeable about the game, how the game mechanics works, I think the game's going to go much easier. I know when I run games with a lot of people, well, even with not a lot of people, with guys that want to talk a lot, I, I tend to be nerve not nervous, I tend to worry that it's going to take too long during the combat. So as soon as I usually just call out the person's name, who, who, whose turn it is, right? right? And then as soon as they're done, I call out the next person's name right. to, keep the, to keep it going. Right. I don't know if that's a good a plan or not, but it makes me feel less like there's too much time in between. Right, right. I think sometimes, yeah, it, just calling the people's names out and, or even say, oh, your turn's next. You know, think about yeah. what you're going to do. And I've, I've done that, especially when the kids were young, our, our kids. Our kid and our, our friend's kids. When they were young, not eight, nine, ten, when they were playing Pathfinder, I would say, okay, do you know what you're going to do next? He goes, they go, yeah, okay. So I would go boom, boom, boom. And so it would basically would flow better because they were organized and they were quick to do whatever they're going to do, do their thyro and stuff, and knew what they were going to do before, ahead of time. A, a lot of that definitely speeds up gameplay when the players are ready for whatever. Yeah. For their moment in the spotlight, right? For their moment when they get to act. You learn when you're playing with kids that you need to tell them when their turn is going to come up because they forget. They may not be ready, and it's good for them to think about it because once you, when because everybody's been there where it gets to somebody's turn and they're like, "Oh, well, let me think about what I want to do." <laughs> I was gonna throw a fireball, but you know, such as this guy in my way. So that does happen, and there are circumstances when when the players' plans kind of change because things change in the in the game itself. So yeah, I think uh, like I said, having uh, having a smaller group is definitely a plus. A small player group definitely helps. So let's move on to the other idea I had, which was using a lighter rules game, right? You have space opera, right? You have aftermath, and then you have Serenity. There's two Serenity games: it was Serenity and Firefly. So when if you pick a game that is it very complicated or is it rules right rules light? I think game flow will games will flow better, right? There's less complication or less minutia to deal with, and it's it's just gonna make the game run faster if you know if that is a concern about your your table. If it's a really crunchy system, crunchy and you're worried about the time constraints especially if you're running a con game you only have a certain amount of time but the combat is probably well dependent on the game you're playing right. the combat might be the most exciting thing that's happening right that you've built up to this crescendo of the, <laughs> the big boss that yeah. you're fighting but if you have either cheat sheets for your players right where they don't have to do the math or you you specifically tell them when you're using this weapon you want to roll a 75 or this is your gold number, right? Right. These are the dice you're rolling. 
um, if you have a cheat sheet for them, especially if it's really complicated, it's easier. If it's a if it's a two d six system like Traveler or um, Feng Shui, right? Or Feng Shui, yeah. I mean, it's a lot easier unless you have exploding sixes, which is fine. But it just means that you know you have to be have extra add. dice. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those kind of things will be very helpful. Like if you, especially if for a con game, if you want it to go faster, if you have the characters and you know what each character can do, you can, especially if it's complicated, like space opera. Look, I've sit down at this at the table to play space opera with these guys. I have no clue how the combat system works. And there's all these charts and, and different things that you have to take into consideration. And all my, my question is, am I roll, do I have to roll high or do I have to roll low? Because you're rolling two ten-sided dice, it's a percentile thing, right? right? So to me, that's the most important question to me because I don't know. Because I want when I roll, I want to know if I've hit or not. And if I can't figure out what number I'm supposed to roll, then it's going to be harder and right. take me longer. Because so my question is always: Am I rolling high or low, Felipe? <laughs> if he's Flair, <laughs> if he's the one Even running he's the not game, there, he's still safe. <laughs> Which I think is kind of funny that you use space opera as an example because I ran space opera at conventions for like 10 years. I, I ran games over and over, not games, the same game, but uh, I ran continuous adventures and players would come and sometimes it was the same player. One of them was Jonah. He would you know, constantly come to my games and that's how I got to know him is that he came to my games and kept coming to my games and I got to know him. And it was fun and the reason I, I made the game that way is that I wanted the game to have this idea that it was continuing. So just in case people like Jonah came and repeat, came back to my games over and over again, it would make sense. It would be more. It, it would seem like there was a bigger story, right? And that for me was the GM decision that I did, and and I th- and I think it worked out pretty well. But the problem is, is that space opera is exceedingly complicated. So there was a lot of subsystems I just took out, right? There was like, there's a. I mean, there's to hit, there's a location, there's if you penetrated armor, blah, 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 blah. So I took out armor, right? Because basically they're always in a space, space. Armor. In, in space, in a space station, and they're not wearing armor, right? They're not wearing, they're just like wearing regular clothes. So, and I, and I told them, well, you know, the, the, the station manager, because they weren't in charge. The station manager wants you, because they were just security guys, kind of. So the station manager doesn't want you to wear an armor because it would look bad it's like uh, babylon 5 nobody in that in that show wore armor unless they were going into like combat so unless they were going into a combat mission then i would let them wear armor but it was real easy i mean it was just you know it, it, to me it was easy but for the most part i wanted to eliminate die rolls right i wanted to eliminate how long it took from going one player to the next because i knew that it was a complicated system and in that game there's all kinds of uh, modifiers right there's a modifier for this modifier for that and in the rules, it says there's, there's, just take the highest negative modifier that there is. Don't compound all these negative modifiers. Because then you would die easily. Er. Well, not only that, but it would take, take a long time. But, but at the same time, it doesn't say that for positive ones, right? So like if you're, if, I don't know, there's all kinds of things why you would get a plus, at least in the game. And what I did is I, I took all those different pluses and minuses and this and that. And I, and I made like 10 of them. Like if, this, if you're doing this, this is what you get. Like if you are aiming you get plus 10 percent, something like that and then and in the negative modifiers they wouldn't have to worry about it because i would have my own like gm screen or whatever but the game wasn't really about combat even though it's a combat heavy role-playing game because it, they were a lot of times they were just investigating stuff 
So, but the combats were quick and not necessarily deadly because in space opera, you have a lot of hit points. You know, you are not invulnerable, but you can take a lot of hits. But I had to definitely condense the rules and change them to make them to make it for me a good con game. So I wouldn't have to have spend an hour explaining how the rules went. So what I did too is I did do cheat seats, right? I put these. In fact, I still have them. In fact, once somebody at from the that went to DungeonCon when I mentioned that I ran Space Opera for ten years goes, hey, are you going to run that game again? And then and then I'm like, well, maybe uh, maybe I will if I get enough interest. Uh, but even back then when I was running it, it was already a dead game. I mean, I was running. It's not it. a dead game. It's a out of print game. No, it's not actually not not anymore because the guy who runs the company still was printing the game and selling it online. <laughs> so anyway. But it was a very uh, obscure game at the very least. And so what I did, I did exactly what you said. I made cheat, cheat sheets that I put in a booklet in a folder that had the player's character sheet. I had it in a little one of those little plastic sheets so they could write on yeah. it. And then, I, and then I had the cheat sheet. And then I had the order of combat. It was obviously needed. And then in the, va- in the back, I just had scratch paper, like, for people to write on. Write on, to like lists of stuff that they wanted to. So it was really neat when they would go from, when they would come into the game and they would sit down because I never took any of that stuff out. One, whatever. But I never took any of that stuff out. So they would read that. Oh, they go, well, what's all this stuff? I go, that was the, somebody else played that character before. And they're like, and that, and that to, to them, to the players who were sitting down and never played before, go, oh, this is like really neat because these, these are like living characters, which is the whole point of that why I did that. But I did do that. I did put cheat sheets in there. I, I try to make it as easy as possible. Even though, for the most part, when combat happened, it would be the slow, slower way of doing things. Uh, the game would definitely slow down. Well, you, but, you can't you can't change that in space opera because that's just the way it is. Right. And you can't change that, I don't think, in any role-playing game. When combat starts, time compresses, right? You know, when you're running around doing things, oh, it'll take you an hour to go to that bar over there on this side of town you're talking about huge lengths of time and then when combat starts you're it's playing six second, six in second turn intervals. three second turns one second turn i think it's one second in shadow run so everything's moving slower because that's the way it has to happen for combat to work for most for the most part and i think you're right i think cheat sheets for players and yourself just definitely help the, the game flow because if you have players that have never played this system they definitely need help as far as what to do when combat starts. Yeah. Do you, can you think of any other things that, that would make the game flow better at your game table? Uh, I think we discussed the, what the size of the group, player knowledge, cheat sheets, running simpler games. For and I'll, I'll go back to simpler games. We I didn't really we didn't really discuss too much about it, but like I said, there's certain games that are just more complicated than others. There's like space opera, and then there's Coriolis, which is a, a new year zero engine. And even that one is a little bit complicated. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to that game. And there might be a space game out there that is really simple. Uh, well, Traveler is really simple. It's 2d6. You have to roll a certain number to hit. And I don't know what that number is. I, I think it used to be just a four or higher or six or higher, but... I think get, it's six or higher. You get pluses and minuses, and it's su- that's super simple. And there, and there's different versions of that. Traveler and Traveler. There's. It would be nice if the GM made the characters for you, so you, they didn't die as you were making them. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> well, he let you. He let you live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, another problem. Another problem I had was 
Traveler, and and some people love the fact that this issue of Traveler is that you don't get a character that you choose to make, right? You get a character that randomly gets their skills. They everything's random, right? Their social standing, everything, their skills. And how long they've been in the service. Like, you may have this idea that you want to be in the service for a long time, come out a major. or like, And you're mustered out the second time. <laughs> it's like me when I was playing uh, Call of Cthulhu, right? I wanted to be this tough, hard-boiled cop. But the numbers didn't work but that number, way. He was this weak, weak guy, and he was super smart. I'm like, well, he, sounds like a, he looks like a stuffy uh, professor. And some people do enjoy that. And I thought that was pretty neat in that Call of Cthulhu game that I had this expectation of, I wanted this kind of character, but the numbers didn't play that out. And then in Traveler, I really didn't have an idea what I wanted, but the character that was rolled up was definitely nobody I wanted really to play. Because <laughs> he kind of sucked, right? <laughs> and that's what the thing about Traveler is that a lot of the characters just aren't very good. Oh, it puts everybody on an equal footing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if you think about running the game and trying to make it fl- flow better, there's all kinds of things you can do. Uh, you can even look up on the internet and try to find other ideas that will make your game flow better. I think uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the rules and, and the size of your group. Uh, if you can't control that, then use like Jolene said, you know, make sure that the players know what they're doing or know the rules a little bit better. And you can help players learn the rules. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing to do is meet with them either online or something and a- ask them if they have any questions about the rules. And if you do that, then like when they show up at the table, they don't have to ask that question. Or if it's a con game, if you take the time to, you've made the characters, you could take the time to write out ideas for the char- for the people playing. Like this guy can do this, he can't do this, or right, things or like that. Yeah, this. this is what he does. Yeah, in the, in the War Stories game that I have, I they, I put down he's a sniper, or he's this, or he's that. Just to give them a clue as to what they're doing, right? Because right, it's right. a it's a pre made character, so yes, and that's the, what I, I, at con games. I totally think that pre made characters is the way to go. The only time I didn't do that was with Tales from the Tales from the Loop, where people actually made characters there, and it literally took fifteen minutes. There's a a, a gentleman called uh, Michael who does he does like a traveler esque one, but now he does all kinds. He's really into like the old forties rocket movies, you know, where they take off into the moon. Mm-hmm. He always met, lets you make your characters, but he does uh, he does a system called Nugget, which I've never played with, but I remember he did uh, like a, it was kind of Traveler-esque, but it was like a short, his own version, right, to how to make a character. Right. He, he would, uh, I don't know if you picked your, your, your stats, but the, and then you picked everything. You picked the skills, and you only had so many points to spend. Bada bing, bada boom. It took you 10, 15 minutes to make a character, which is acceptable, acceptable at a con. Not an hour. No. no, unless it's a 12-hour game. Because you're not going to have enough time to run the game. There's some ideas for you. Good luck. Yes. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day. <laughs>